0: Well, hello everyone. Thank you so much for joining us here in Waukesha, those of you over in Pewaukee, and of course everyone who's watching us online. Hey, before we get started today, I would like to ask you if you would pray with me. I would like to pray over everything that's happening um, right here in Kenosha and really in cities across our nation and the pain. That it's causing many black Americans. Um, I've been part of a racial unity discussion group here at River Glen for the last six weeks, and I want to tell you that it has been really heartbreaking to hear firsthand the fear and the sadness that our black brothers and sisters are feeling almost every day. And there's a lot of work to do, and I believe we need God's help. So I'm gonna read a prayer that comes right out of the book that we've been using to kinda guide our discussion over the last six weeks, and I wanna ask you if you would pray along with me. Lord, as we continue to see the intensity of the racial divide, our hearts are broken. God, help us not to rush from this place of hurting, but rather to lament as you call us to do. God, may our lament be a form of worship, a joining of our hearts with yours as we grieve the lack of your kingdom justice here on earth. God, strengthen us for this path as without you, the overwhelming depth of the problems that must be addressed and acknowledged would be devastating. God, we know that you mourn with us and you comfort us as we mourn with one another. Please give wisdom and grace to those on the front lines of all sides, especially in Kenosha. God, open our eyes to what we can do and help us to stay committed to listening and to praying. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for praying with me. And if you want to know more about that racial unity group, please come find me or email me um, after the service. Well, let me take a minute to introduce myself. Um, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Sue. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I oversee all of our groups uh, ministries here. That includes Alpha and Rooted and Life Groups and really other various group type things. And I wanted to start today by telling you that last weekend, I finally saw Toy Story 4. I know, I know I'm behind. Um, But isn't it a great series? I mean, in this last one, I wasn't sure how I felt about those dolls named Vincent. They were a little creepy. But even with that, I found myself reflecting over the last week about the themes of the Toy Story franchise, and I think a huge reason why people love Toy Story is the all-in commitment that the toys have, not just for their kids, but for each other. I mean, in every single movie, those toys will do anything to make sure that no toy is left behind. I think it's why we get a little choked up when we hear that song, You've Got a Friend in Me, because we know if we had a friend like Woody, he would do anything for us. And who doesn't want a friend like that? And I realized that uh, growing up, friendships haven't always lived up to that standard in my life. When I was in grade school, my friendships were really closely tied to proximity. I was friends with whoever was closest to me, you know, the kids in the neighborhood, or the girls on my softball team, or the people I walked to school with every day. And I wasn't really good at keeping friendships alive unless I was with someone on a really regular basis. And I also really only wanted to be friends with the people that looked like they were having the most fun, right? The popular kids, the in-crowd. And for me, that usually meant I wanted to be friends with my older sister's friends, because they all seemed to be living a way better life than me. I want to tell you a story about my friend, Julie. She was my sister's best friend um, growing up, and I vaguely remember her hanging out when I was in grade school, but I definitely remember when Julie and my sister Jane started high school because I watched from the sidelines as Jane started to attend the youth group at her friend Julie's church. And it seemed like it was like one party after another. I mean, they went to Six Flags, they went bowling, they had movie nights and pizza parties. And I remember asking Jane if I could go to one of those parties, and she's like, no, you have to be in high school. And Then she slammed the bedroom door in my face. Okay, maybe she didn't slam it, but she definitely was not jumping at the chance to include me. So I'll never forget that September of my freshman year in high school when Julie came to find me in the hallway by my locker. Now this is already a big deal because juniors don't generally talk to freshmen um, in high school, but Julie came to find me because she wanted to personally invite me to be her guest at the Bring a Friend night at her church. And I was really excited, mostly because it finally meant I was going to get to go to these parties. But I also remember being surprised that Julie would remember how much I wanted to be included. And that night, she sat next to me at the youth group instead of next to all of her junior friends. And that night was the first night that I heard that I could have a personal relationship with Jesus. I learned that I could know for sure that I would spend eternity in heaven. I learned that I could talk to God the way I talked to my parents or my friends and that God would always be listening. And that night I decided to follow Jesus and I have never looked back. Julie was a great friend to ninth grade me, and she's still a great friend today. And following Jesus, it actually made me a lot better at friendship. I think as I started to understand how much God loved me, I got a lot better at loving other people. And my friendships became tied to connection instead of just proximity. And I bonded with people that I spent quality time with, instead of just a large quantity of time. My close friends really knew me. They knew what scared me, what made me laugh. They knew what I was passionate about, and over time, I started to extend the same invitation to them that Julie did for me, inviting them to get to know this Jesus that I followed. And this series we're in right now, it's all about extending that kind of invitation to our friends, our family members, our neighbors, inviting them to come experience Jesus and choose faith. Because our mission is Jesus followers, and really the mission that we've adopted as a church, is to help as many people as possible to know what it means to follow Jesus and to choose that for themselves. And we wanna help you to extend that invitation. So first of all, we've provided this little packet of cards. We started providing them last weekend, so if you were here, hopefully you grabbed one. And if not, there's still some available. Hopefully you got one on the way in today. And if you're watching online, this packet is available to you digitally you can just go to the show up weekend page under the resources tab but we want everyone to use this packet to make a list there's a space inside where you can make a list of five people a list of people you know that you want to invite into faith in Jesus now I'm going to talk a little bit more about starting your list or adding to it a little later on in the message But I want to pause for just a minute because if you're here today or if you're listening online and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, that's okay. I'm really glad that you're here. And I think this series is still for you because when you are exploring faith, it's a lot easier to do that if you're doing it with a friend. And so I want you to, you know, consider still making a list of people you know that could explore along with you. Now, in addition to creating the list, we want to make it really easy for you to invite your friends to church. So we've planned that specific weekend called Show Up Weekend. Amy and Isaac um, have already talked about it today. And there's going to be a lot going on both here in person and online. And just like Julie knew that I would hear from her youth pastor that night what it meant to have a personal relationship with God, you can know that anyone who shows up that weekend, whether online or in person, they're going to leave knowing what it means to follow Jesus. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's a great story about your friend Julie Sue, um, but inviting people to church is awkward and uncomfortable. I can't just walk up to someone and blurt out, hey, you want to come to my church? You're right, if you did it that way, it would be awkward and uncomfortable. Now, it could work, of course, but I think usually an invitation is more effective if you've made a connection with somebody, if you've invested in that relationship first. It matters a lot if the person that you're inviting, if they feel like you're interested in what matters to them, that you care about them. And we all want to feel seen, don't we? We all want others to recognize when we're hurting or when we need help. And this type of investment, it's what moves an acquaintance to a friendship. It's the difference between just knowing someone because you are, spend a lot of time in proximity to them and having a real relationship with them. And when relationships move to this level, it's a lot easier to extend an invitation to something so personal, like exploring faith at a church service. So what does it really mean to invest in a relationship with another person? Well, let's take a minute to think about that word, invest. Now, oftentimes, we think of an investment as tied to a transaction, don't we? You know, we give something to get something. You know, for example, we invest in the stock market in the hopes that the value of the stock will rise, and then we'll get more money back in return. But the meaning of the word investment that I'm talking about today, it's a little bit different than that. I'm talking about an emotional connection. When we invest in people, we engage emotionally, and we give of ourselves relationally. It happens over time, and it takes intentionality. And when you invest in people, you're communicating how valuable they are to you. You really see a person, their heart, their needs, their potential. Do we get something back in return? Probably. I mean, I think usually we do. And we love it when that other person responds with an emotional connection in us as well but regardless of the response i believe that god calls us and he wants us to invest and make the effort with other people now jesus really knew the importance of investing in people in order to be able to extend an invitation to follow him and we want to be a church on mission to help more people accept jesus's invitation But how do we do that? Well, to answer that question, I want to spend the rest of our time together looking at kind of a day in the life of Jesus. I want to follow him around for one day in his hometown of Capernaum and watch how he spent his days. I want us to see how Jesus modeled investing in people, that he's our example of how we can value others. Now, here's the big idea for today. Investment communicates importance. Let me say it again. Investment communicates importance. And Jesus understood the importance of investing in people. So let's open the Bible to Matthew chapter nine. But before we start reading, I wanna give you a little bit of background. Now, Matthew, the author, he is a Jesus follower, and he wrote this book to his fellow Jews. Now, the Jewish people had been waiting for a long time for a Messiah to come, and the Messiah was a person who was going to rescue them from the foreign oppressors that had been ruling over them for so many years. And the Messiah would finally bring peace and prosperity to the Jews. So, Matthew's goal in writing the stories that we're going to read today was to help his fellow Jews to see and to understand that. Jesus was the Savior that they had been looking for. He was the Messiah that was predicted and promised in the Old Testament. Now in chapter 9, we're going to see a series of encounters that Jesus has, and I want us to observe how Jesus invests in the people that he meets. All day long, one person after another, Jesus engages emotionally So he can make a difference in someone's life. Now there's a lot happening in this chapter, so we're going to focus in on just a couple of specific stories. And as chapter 9 opens, we see Jesus and his followers getting out of a boat in their own town. Let's read it together. So Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. So when this encounter happens, Jesus had already been traveling around for several days. He had been teaching and healing people and calming a storm and casting out demons. And so when this paralyzed man is brought to Jesus, what would we expect Jesus to do? I think we would expect him to heal the man because that would fit the pattern up to this point. So when Jesus says to him, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven, it might have seemed irrelevant to the man or himself and even to the people that are watching because forgiving his sins, not, that's not going to help this man to walk. But here's a little insight. In Jesus's culture at the time this story is written, people believed that physical ailments were caused by sin either the sin of the individual himself or even the sin of their parents or their grandparents. And so even though Jesus didn't believe that was true, he knew that the people watching thought it was true. And a person with physical pain was probably also suffering emotionally, believing that their own sin had caused their physical issues. So this paralyzed man, he could have spent his entire life feeling this guilt and shame, believing that he had caused what was going on with him. And Jesus knew in this culture that healing a person's heart was just as important as healing their body. And Jesus could have healed this man's paralysis immediately. In fact, in verse 6, he does heal him. It says he tells the man, get up, take your mat, and go home. But Jesus took the time to make a connection with this man, to get to the heart of his problem and to speak those words of forgiveness. We see Jesus do this multiple times in the other books of the Bible that are written about his life. In Luke chapters five and seven, in Mark chapter two, he says those same words, your sins are forgiven. Because Jesus makes it a point of looking a little deeper than just the surface needs of people. He regularly took the time to make an emotional connection, to invest in people, to really see their fears, their longings, and their pain. Because investment communicates importance. And Jesus knew the importance of seeing into people's hearts. Okay, let's look at the next story starting in verse nine. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Now, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So Jesus continues on at Capernaum, and he comes across this tax collector sitting at his booth, just doing his job. And he invites Matthew to follow him, and Matthew It doesn't explain exactly how it happens, but Jesus ends up eating dinner at Matthew's house with other tax collectors, and then the verse says that sinners were there as well. So what's significant about this story? Well, just like with the first story, there's some cultural significance. In Jesus's day, tax collectors were despised members of society, and it's understandable why. I mean, first of all, these are Jewish people that worked for the Roman government, which treated Jewish people terribly. And then secondly, tax collectors were known for their dishonesty, so they would regularly collect more money than was required, and then pocket the extra for for themselves. And based on the location of this story in Capernaum, Matthew was probably assigned to collect taxes from his fellow Jews. So he's doubly despised because he's cheating his own people. But when Jesus encounters Matthew, instead of walking by or loudly condemning his actions, Jesus decides to invest in Matthew and then to have dinner at his house. And this is actually really remarkable. To start with, the people that were gathered at Matthew's house, those are Matthew's friends, okay? They're his guests co-workers, his um, social circle. And remember, his job as a tax collector, that made him a social outcast. So because of his choice to profit off of Rome's oppressive rule, the only people that would probably be his friends would be other people making similar choices. And so it's not too surprising that Matthew's friends are other tax collectors and sinners. Now, the word sinner is used in the text. It refers to a specific group of people, not general sinful humanity, okay? It's not completely clear what group it applies to, but some of the research I did said that these sinners were probably Jewish people that didn't follow the Jewish laws. So they didn't give money to the temple or follow the purity rituals that Jewish people were supposed to follow. And I also learned that it was unlikely that Matthew's friends were poor people. So these were probably wealthy individuals who were seen as backstabbers, Jewish people who had turned their back on other Jews in order to profit from Rome. Regardless, these are not the sort of people that hang out with, you know, religious leaders. And so once Matthew responded to Jesus' call, he immediately wanted to extend the invitation to others just like him. So rather than drop all of his current friends, he asks those people to come to dinner, and he introduces them to Jesus. And obviously, some of them say yes. Now, another remarkable thing about this story is that Jesus was willing to eat with Matthew's people. Now, even in our current culture, sharing a meal with someone is significant, right? It implies more than just eating food together. Because when someone generously opens their home to you and provides food for you, it requires your guests to receive that generosity. And there's a connection made with one another as everyone sits around a table together. I mean, I think even if people start off around the table as strangers, there's a bond that happens as you eat dinner together, and it almost resembles something, resembles something close to friendship. And we love this model of eating together so much that we copy it here at River Glen with our Alpha group. When you sign up for Alpha in person, the night starts with a meal shared together because we know that eating together builds this kind of bond that makes the faith discussions that are going to happen later on in the night that much easier. And we've watched strong connections form over nine weeks of Alpha as people circle up around the table and grow together in faith. Now I'm going to do a little commercial here because Alpha is starting up again at the end of September. And so if you're looking to make that kind of connection, if you have questions about faith and you want to discuss it with other people, Alpha is a great place for you to start. And this bond that formed during the meal uh, with Matthew and his follower and his friends and Jesus, this is why the Pharisees in our story, they're scandalized by the fact that Jesus eats with Matthews. And look what, how they respond in verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You know, Jesus was extending grace to these people before they had repented of anything or changed anything about their lives. He associated himself with them. He invested time with them. And it communicated how important these people were to him. Jesus accepted Matthew's generosity and he humbled himself to eat with sinners. And then he gave them the gift of himself, his time, his love, his message of healing. And when Jesus heard the Pharisees' objection, he said to them, hey, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And to Matthew, you know, Jesus was a person who saw him. Not what he did, but who he was. His potential, his value. Matthew and his friends, they were hated by so many people. But when Jesus spent time with them and ate with them and invested in a relationship with them, they felt important. Because investment communicates importance. And Jesus knew the importance of spending time with people. Now in case it's not obvious, this dinner was an investment that lasted a lifetime. Because the Matthew in this story is the same Matthew that wrote the book that we're reading from today. Because Matthew wanted to record his own story of faith. So his Jewish friends would see that Jesus was the real deal. The Messiah that they had been waiting for. Now, I want to look at one final story within this chapter, and it's actually a story within a story. So let's jump down to verse 18, and Jesus is approached by the synagogue leader, and this man is desperate. Notice his posture as we read. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Now this leader is literally kneeling before Jesus. Now maybe he thought showing this kind of submission would move Jesus into action, but it's also possible that this man was one of Jesus' enemies. I mean, being referred to as a synagogue leader indicates he could have been one of the people that was outraged at Jesus' behavior in the beginning of the chapter. But his child is dead and he's willing to do anything to get her back. And the text says that Jesus got up and went with him, that Jesus responded immediately. And here's where there's a story within a story, because I want you to see um, what happens down in verse 20. As Jesus is on his way to heal this child, a woman reaches out to him from behind. Just then... A woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak she said to herself if i only touch his cloak i will be healed jesus turned and saw her take heart daughter he said your faith has healed you and the woman was healed at that moment now the woman only touched the edge of jesus's cloak And since she had been bleeding for so many years, she was probably considered unclean by Jewish standards. And she only touched the edge of his cloak because she probably didn't want to take the chance of contaminating Jesus and making him unclean. And I love that Matthew records that she's kind of mumbling to herself, if I only touch his cloak, if I only touch his cloak. And Jesus senses her need and he turns and the verse says that he sees her. And he calls her daughter. He makes an emotional connection with this woman. And verse 22 says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. Now, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I can kind of imagine that Jesus sensed the healing power going out from him. And he turns and he looks this sick, scared woman right in the eye. And he reassures her that she's healed. Everything is going to be okay. Jesus heard about a need from the synagogue ruler and immediately moved into action. And then he sensed a need from the woman that touched his cloak and he immediately meets her need as well. And this is a little bit of a different type of investment than we've seen from Jesus so far because Jesus connects with these individuals by meeting their immediate needs. He knows that by meeting their needs, he's communicating their value. Because it was in his power to do so, He took care of the needs that they have. Investment communicates importance. And Jesus knew the importance of meeting a need. And I think if we were to continue to read in the book of Matthew, we would see even more examples of Jesus connecting with people, asking questions to see into their hearts, making investments of time by hanging out with people, talking to them, eating with them, and then meeting the needs that He sees. Jesus modeled this importance of investment and when I consider how Jesus lived with such intentionality when it came to the people that he encountered I have to ask myself and and I'm going to put this challenge out to all of you are we following Jesus by investing in people as we go about our days are we connecting with people spending quality time with them Are we trying to see what's going on in their hearts by asking questions or getting to know them over coffee or lunch? Are we doing what we can to meet their immediate needs and then inviting them into the same faith that we have? I want you to hear the story of two people right here at River Glen who invested in each other and how God used that friendship to grow their faith. Take a look.
1: Hi, I'm Leah and I've been going to River Glen for a little over 18 years with my husband, Nick.
2: And I'm Heather and I've been going to River Glen for two years myself. My oldest daughter has been going here for three years. So we have another daughter and my husband as well who comes with us.
1: I was at Country Springs night for school and Heather comes up to me and she's like, hi. I am Madison's mom and she would like to have a play date with your daughters. Um, Can I have your phone and can I put my phone number in and we can schedule a play date? And I'm like, okay, yeah. It Uh, just kept growing and growing and our little
2: ones became friends and our older kids stayed friends and Leah has an older daughter and they're actually, they all play together and hang out and it's just been a great journey started coming to Edge um, with the reeds. One of the girls just said, hey, we go to um, River Glen Church and we have um, this thing called Edge and we worship and we do fun activities and play games. You wanna come with us? And so I think it was on the bring a friend night. And so um, she came with for that and she was hooked. And so she just wanted to keep coming and, Plus it got her out of the house and met other kids and she really enjoyed that.
1: You know, we would talk about the girls and we could tell how much fun the girls were having. And, and I think Madison was starting to have a lot of questions that Heather was kind of like, I don't know the answers, you know, and I was just like, Heather, this church is awesome, you wanna come, you know, it's come as you are. It's, you know, you're you just get to be you. So I was
2: nervous to come, but we planned to come to the same service and we all sat together. It was so cute. We showed up and um and actually every time we come to service after that, Leah always beats me here because I'm late for everything, and um, she will have all our seats saved and we all sit in a row and now we sit, like the adults usually sit in the front and all the kids sit in the back. So there's like, I don't even, there's six of them that just sit in a line right behind us and um, it's just really cool. I think our friendship has changed and grown with our shared faith because we, um, Although we're parents and everybody parents differently, we still rely on our faith, and I think that that helps us on how to handle situations with our children.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's also just kind of awesome to see your friend grow in that way, you know, and learning, and like, we're going through Rooted, and I mean, you're really, you know, putting it all out there. You know, everything, and I think we both learn things about each other that we never, you know, we would have never learned. And I know if I need her to pray for me, I can ask her that, and she knows that, and she knows I'm gonna do it, and I know she's gonna do it. And that's a connection you don't have with all your friends, so.
2: It's just really cool, and I I feel like it's home, and I'm really glad that Leah invited me to come with her family, because I honestly wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her.
0: isn't that a great story? Yeah. Leah, Leah knew that um, faith in Jesus would make a difference in Heather's life. And so she nurtured that friendship and she invited her to give River Glen a try. <clears throat> so let's pull out that invite packet that I talked about a little bit earlier. And in a few minutes, I'm going to give you some time to think about the people you know that you want to invite into faith in Jesus. And if you've already started to make a list of some names last week, hopefully more names have come to mind as you've been listening today. And if you're watching online, you're going to want to grab a piece of paper and a pencil or maybe open your notes app on your phone so that you can start or continue your list. But today, in addition to just writing down names, I want you to add a few notes next to the names that you've written down. I want you to think about how you can make an intentional investment in the individuals that you write down even before you extend an invite to them. Could you share a meal with them like Jesus did with Matthew? Could you send an encouraging text that speaks to the heart of something that they're going through right now? Is there a need that you can meet in their life? Maybe take them a meal or help them with some yard work, or maybe you could offer to do some grocery shopping or buy some school supplies for them if you have a friend who's not quite comfortable out in the stores yet. Could you do something that would demonstrate that you see what's going on in another person's world? Just make a few notes next to those names about how you can make an emotional connection in the next few weeks. You might want to read through Matthew chapter 9 on your own. Ask God to show you how you can communicate to the people on your list that they are valuable to you. Because I know that this type of intentional investment, it would make an invitation to show up weekend so much easier. Now some of you already make regular investments in your friends. You already do the kinds of things that I'm talking about. And so your challenge is to take it to the next step to extend that invite into faith in Jesus. And maybe that means inviting them to show up weekend so they can explore that new faith. You know what Julie did for me? It was pretty simple. She just asked me to be her guest, but it changed my life. And imagine the impact that we could have in our community if all of us were intentionally inviting people into faith in Jesus. Imagine the peace That could be flooding the hearts of our friends as they learn to trust god with the future imagine the healing that could take place in our family or with our neighbors as forgiveness is given and received when people finally understand that jesus went to the cross for them And as we move into a time of communion today, I want to invite those of you who are watching online to gather what you need um, to participate with us, some crackers, some bread, maybe some juice or water. But as we all eat and drink together, let's remember that Jesus not only set the example of what it means to invest in people as he walked here on the earth, but he made the ultimate investment in our eternity when he sacrificed his life on the cross as payment for our sins. And as we reflect on what Jesus has done for us and the music is playing, we're going to spend a little extra time today considering what new names we want to add to our lists. And then I want to encourage you to talk to God about those names that you've already written down and ask him to show you how you can intentionally invest in a way that communicates how valuable these people are, not just to you, but also to God. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for how you love us. Thank you for how you've forgiven us. And God, thank you for valuing us so much that you were willing to go to the cross for us. In the next few moments, God, we ask you to bring the names of people to mind that we care about. And God, then help us to think about ways we can communicate to them how much we care. God, we ask for the courage to invite people to show up weekend to invite people to explore faith in you. God, we ask for courage as we make these invites and open their hearts, God, so that they respond positively to our invitations. We pray all of this in your power and in your name. Amen.